welcome to the 13th Warehouse. I'm Kim. I'm Vicky. And this is Doug with the episode credits for Season 4, Episode 4, There's Always a Downside. Guest cast, Brent Spiner as Brother Adrian, Sam Huntington as Ethan Ellis, and Rene Aubergenois returns as Hugo Miller. Created by Brent Moat and Jane Espenson. Written by Drew Z. Greenberg, John Paul Nickel, and Michael Jones Morales. Directed by Constantine Macris. Original air date was August 13th, 2012. And now, the episode Quick Cap. Pete and Claudia are sent to New Canaan, Connecticut, in response to a call from Hugo Miller after Bobby Fisher's marbles were FedExed to him. Hugo confesses that his nephew Brady, who attends Tilson Academy, borrowed a marble to help him through the high-pressure IMT week at school. He returned the marble, but has since developed blue vein marks on his arms. He confesses to lending out another four marbles to his friends. Prolonged use of the marbles leads to violence, madness, stroke, and or death. Pete and Claudia must retrieve all of the marbles in order to deactivate the side effects. They are able to retrieve all but one, which the principal confiscated from one of the students. Pete and Claudia must find the principal who they know is most likely going after the school board for cutting funding to Tilson. Pete's high school shop class comes in handy when he remembers how to shut down the furnace before the gymnasium blows up, potentially killing the school board along with the student body. They bag the final marble, and Brady, his classmates, and the principal recover. Micah and Steve head to New Orleans to investigate Dr. Nina Golden and her patients, many with severe issues that have been cured overnight. The only link between the cured patients seems to be a jazz club, the Altered Scale Bar. There they find musician Ethan Ellis, who has been getting sicker and sicker while his playing has gotten better and better. He has been using Scott Joplin's cigarette case to remove fear, grief, and sorrow from the patients, curing them. Taking in their pain and suffering enabled him to experience hardship and therefore play better. It will also kill him in time. When Ethan tries to remove Steve's pain and Steve screams that Ethan is going to kill Claudia, Michael learns of the information that Steve has been hiding about the metronome. They bag the case. Ethan is cured and all of the pain reverts back to the patients, who now have to work through their issues the way they should have instead of getting an easy fix. Back at the bed and breakfast, Brother Adrian uses a fake artifact, Jack Duncan's spur, to trick Artie into confirming his suspicion that Artie is the person who used the astrolabe. When Artie refuses to reverse the process, Brother Adrian threatens that measures to force Artie's cooperation have already been set in motion. I got a message from Hugo Miller. Oh, you is he? Oh, he's, he's still irritating. And he's scattered. But I managed to piece together that he's found an artifact. We're going to have to go retrieve it. Hi, and we're back with Season 4, Episode 4, There's Always a Downside. The artifacts of the week from Warehouse Wiki are Bobby Fisher's Bag of Marbles. Gives the holder intense focus and a powerful drive to achieve any goal set, but at the cost of that drive, turning violent. It also causes loss of sanity, stroke, and or cardiac arrest. Joplin's cigarette case relieves the people of emotional and mental suffering and the memories they experience with the pain, but causes extreme physical pain to the user of the case, eventually killing them if they absorb too much. I really did like this episode, but I already have a problem with it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Claudia and Pete. These are warehouse agents. Mm -hmm. Hugo is an ex-warehouse agent. Very few people in the world know about the warehouse, and very few people know about artifacts. 
historically in this series, the people who do happen to know about the warehouse and the artifacts that are not connected directly to the warehouse are evil and are out to do harm. So why does no one bat an eye at the fact that someone FedExed Hugo the marbles? Yeah, I not figure that one out either because I'm going, who would FedEx? Well, somebody did say who would FedEx, but I want to say that came towards the end. Right, already finally thought about it. But at the beginning, nobody batted an eye, especially considering that McPherson mailed that book to Micah's father. Mm-hmm. You know, wouldn't they stop to consider who knows about these things and who would send it to Hugo? And they're all just happily, merrily skipping on their way. Oh, it must have been somebody who knew I was looking for this forever. You know, nobody thinks anything of it. Nobody checks to see if it was something that was already in the warehouse, which we find out later it was. I searched for them back in the 70s, but I was never able to find them. And then I was uh, waylaid by the warehouse computer system. So how'd you get them? FedEx. Well, that's weird. Whoever sent these must have known. These little beauties were way up on my most wanted list. Even with his nephew. Why would you let your nephew know about it? Well, he kind of explains that at the end. He does explain that he wanted his nephew to follow in his footsteps. I get that. But he shouldn't be allowed to have artifacts, period. But he's still a kid. Right. And we see what Pete's a kid at heart. And we see the damage he does. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Who's supposed to know better and works there. Right. You're right. Right. <laughs> but it's like nobody even thinks anything of it until the end when they mention it to Artie. And mm-hmm. I believe the only reason he thinks anything of it was because Brother Adrian just told him that things were already in the works. So he assumes that Brother Adrian's the one who sent the marbles. Yeah. So, you know, I don't think he would have thought anything of it either. Probably not. Then another weird thing was, you know, Steve is drawn to this painting on the doctor's wall. And I know it's supposed to be reminding him of his and Claudia's situation, but I don't really understand why. It's two skeletons at a table having a drink. I get the skeletons probably mean death, and the fact that they're sitting at the table having a drink probably means they're the living dead. But I just feel like there could have been a better painting to show this. I mean, we see skeletons everywhere, and they're in New Orleans. There's probably pictures of skeletons everywhere. Well, they were the opposite of each other. That's the only thing I can think of the connection, because they're the opposite of each other. Well, that's what I'm wondering. Did I miss something? I don't understand what you mean. Um, Because they're kind of facing each other, kind of the opposite. So I was trying to see where the hands were placed. And even at one point, I didn't understand how come... uh, Micah didn't even say to him about the painting because she's watching him look at the painting. Right. Not even is this a clue to what might be happening because they still don't know what's going on with the patients yet. So wouldn't you even look at the painting and go, do you think this might be a clue? I kept looking at it, trying to see if I was missing something in the painting. So I guess what you're saying is they're facing each other maybe has something to do with it. Plus they were sharing a drink. Okay. Because when you go with somebody to a bar, you, you're sharing. You're kind of together. You're sharing. That's the only other conclusion I could get because they share. He gets the, the injury. She gets the pain. I don't know. That's it. Because they're, they're together sharing a drink. So share. I guess. Yeah. Because I just thought there could have been a better kind of a painting to have him stare at instead of two skeletons. You know, it wasn't anything I thought that was out of the ordinary. So it was... I don't know. I just thought they could have come up with a better painting or something. 
well, well, the way he was looking at it, because he thinks he has to kill himself or something. So I don't know if that has to do anything with it, too. You know, death, like you said. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Hey, uh, Steve, you know, I know what it's like coming back after being away. So if you ever want to talk. Yeah, different circumstances, though, wouldn't you say? Yes, it is. But still, talking's talking. I'm good. Really, I'm fine. Really? It's ironic, you know? The guy who can see lies is actually a terrible liar. You know, Pete warned me about this. He said if you started talking about feelings, then I should just change the subject. Artie gives the, what do we know about artifacts lecture to Steve, which, you know, please. When Steve scoffs at the prospect of going to retrieve an artifact that's helping people. And, you know, Artie gives him the lecture, which we know Artie already used an artifact. And this is the part I didn't understand about Steve, but I think I did after a while. Even though Steve knows what artifacts can do, he's still sarcastic about it in the doctor's office. I think what it is is that because it's relieving him of the pain, it should be a plus. In a way, he's feeling pain now. He still has the pain of doing what Claudia did. You brought me back. And that's kind of a pain. And it's like, even with her heart being pain of losing, you know, the people in her life and even Steve, that would have been relieved with this artifact. And why wouldn't you want it to release somebody of cancer or somebody with um, mental ailment? Because it's like, well, wouldn't you want to do that? Right. And I understand that. But him being a warehouse person knows there's always a downside. And then three times this comes up. Three times when Artie gives him the lecture. And then when he's in the doctor's office, he gets sarcastic about it. And then Micah again has to explain to him that artifacts have downsides, no matter what good can come of their use. So we're going to stop an artifact that helps troubled people become well. Yes, you are. Is there any connection between the patients? Any of them related? Live in the same neighborhood? No, they're not even suffering from the same traumas. A young Katrina widow, a a child recovering from an accident, and Alex's war experience. They're all completely over it. Well, it's a good thing we're here to stop that from happening. Steve. I'm still trying to understand how losing horrible memories is a bad thing. Because when an artifact makes it happen, I mean, who knows what the price will be. After that, I was like, what's wrong with him? But then I was thinking, he's been there long enough to understand that. And I think to have him question this over and over again, I finally realized that I think he's trying to put his mind at ease that this artifact that Claudio used isn't going to have the downside. I think he's trying to talk himself into that everything's going to be okay. Right. With the metronome, even though they already know there's a, well, he knows there's a downside, but mm-hmm. I, I think he's hoping that the downside isn't going to get any worse, or he's trying to convince himself that there's nothing worse that's going to come of this. Yeah, I'm with you there. That's I, what I, I believe that, yeah. Like you said a little while ago, he's ready to take himself off the metronome. But Micah talks him into looking for other alternatives. Well, number one, he's got to tell Claudia first off. But she talks him into looking for other alternatives. And then when he gets back, he asks Artie if he could stay close to home to do research. So it sounds like he's going to take Micah's advice before, you know, going off half-cocked and just taking himself off the metronome. Right, because to me, part of that is like, if he does, will he take Claudia with him? Right, right, because he doesn't know what's going to happen if he does take himself off the metronome. Mm-hmm. I thought of this because, you know, we know that the person who used the metronome to bring the other person back to life feels all the pain of the person 
who was brought back to life. So when Marcus was brought back to life, did Sykes feel every time Marcus was shot or thrown off a balcony? You know what I mean? Was he still paralyzed, though? Uh, yeah, I think it was just his legs, though. I don't know. I don't... Yeah, what's his legs? Well, it depends. Because um... they never said anything about that. And you have to consider that whoever put Marcus on the metronome, which I imagine was Sykes, would have the same problem. And so when they stopped the metronome, Marcus died. So I guess Sykes lived. So I guess we know that when they stop the metronome, the other person does live. Okay, yeah, that's right. Right? Yeah. I don't know. I just thought of that. It's like, well, how come we didn't see that with Sykes and Marcus? Hmm. You know, because they did a lot to Marcus. See, they shot him. Pete threw him off the balcony. I think they shot him more than once. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> right. And I, I wonder if they just, I don't know. It's like they kind of made this up after the fact. Maybe because they have a kinder spirit. Marcus didn't because at one point he knew he, you know, he was going to kill them anyways. Or he killed everybody along the way. I don't know. Unless, I don't know. You're right. They may have changed the storyline. Just to suit this. Mm-hmm. So we find out Brother Adrian suspected Artie all along. Yeah, but that was funny. He said from the beginning, but he never says why. Now, I would have started to suspect him when they met in the diner and Artie was adamant about knowing what the evil was. Because, you know, Artie kept saying, what's the evil? And he says, it doesn't matter. You know? Right. But then Artie lets him know that he's willing to carry the evil he created. But Brother Adrian tells him that he's allowing the whole world to carry the evil, which we've never heard before. Right. So I don't think that was clear when he first told Artie about the evil before no, Artie I used think it. it was. And so I wonder if Artie would have used it anyway if he knew that. He would have used it. You think so? Mm-hmm. When he used it, he thought he would be the only one affected. I still believe he would have used yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Even though the world may be carrying the evil, it was much worse when it had no hope. Yeah, and I think that too. Although, if we knew what the evil was, maybe it wouldn't have, but he won't tell anybody what the evil is. But I believe that the world with no hope was worse. Yeah. Apparently, Brother Adrian sees it different. We'll see. We're going to pause right here for a quick break. We'll be right back. Hey, Dud Gramley here from Yeah, That Can't Be Good. If you're a fan of Warehouse 13, it is very likely you're also a fan of Eureka. And if you aren't, you should be. Please join Kim, Vicky, Skip, and myself over at Yeah, That Can't Be Good for an episode-by-episode podcast of all things Eureka. You can listen at EurekaRewatch.com on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, or wherever you get your podcasts. And we're back. So Pete, when he's trying to save the school, uses the marble to focus enough to shut down the furnace. He uses his high school shop experiences to remember how to shut down the furnace. It's all wires and circuits and stuff. Come on, come on. Think, think. Just focus, focus. What do I need to focus? Hey there, little buddy. I'm going to need your help. So please work and don't kill me. All right, Mr. Davis, eighth grade shop class. You told me to start with the ground. Even with the dean, I'm still trying to figure out how they didn't realize he had the marble. Because of his attitude about the school board. Still didn't understand that. Well, I'm not sure that he had it at the time he said that. He was mad at the school board. He was really mad at the school board because they kept cutting programs and cutting funding. 
So he was already mad at the school board, and the marble just made it worse to the point where he was going to kill everybody. Right, but I thought he would have had the marble by then because the other kid had already did his damage, and the marble was out of his possession. So I thought at that time that he already had the marble. Honestly, I thought he had the marble when he was talking to Pete. Because then later on, they find out that the kid didn't have the marble. And that's quite possible. But I think whether he had the marble or not, before he ever got the marble, he was already mad at the school board. Right. So the marble yeah. was just going to make his anger worse about that. Agent Lenner, thank you for waiting. Still not sure why the Secret Service cares about school violence. Yeah, the president's made it one of his top priorities this year. I'm in trouble, aren't I? Pulling this during IMT week? Thanks to the absurd budget cuts our esteemed school board is making. We're all under pressure to generate more alumni support. The atmosphere's already fraught with tension. The board must see IMT as a success. I have to enforce a zero-tolerance policy. I'm sorry. And this whole marble thing seems to be like kind of a spotlight on how much pressure parents put on kids to, to achieve. You know, there's a difference between supporting your child and making them think they're nothing. Like the father said... If they're not the last one standing. Right. I never liked that style. No, 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 no. And there seems to be a lot of that going on these days, more so than when we were kids. Yes. Okay, well, we need to win this one. Crush these North Lake prep guys. I know. Hey, hey, look at me. You have one goal. Be the last one standing. I will. Okay. I will. Random, random, random. And now for some random thoughts, facts, or things that we just thought were funny, or things that we just wanted to mention that don't really need to be discussed, but deserve a mention. The first time I watched this episode, like way back when, mm-hmm. and even the first time I watched it this time for the podcast, for some reason I thought Hugo was a professor at that school. I thought that was his job. I don't know why I thought that. I thought that until I watched it this last time when I was taking notes. And this is an episode I remember. If I would have described it to you before I watched it this last time, I would have said he was a professor working at the school. I have no idea why, because he didn't say that. He said it was his alma mater, not that he worked there. Right. I think I got the idea because he said Brady went through his desk and his research. And for some reason, I thought when he was saying that they were standing in the school, but they weren't. They were standing in his house. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know why I thought he was a professor there. And then I checked to see if Tilton is an actual school. Because it's in New Canaan. It is an actual school, but it's in New Hampshire. And then I wondered if, since the actual school is in New Hampshire, if they based Tilton in New Canaan on another school in New Canaan, like the Gilmore Girls. Do you watch the Gilmore Girls? Um, I've seen it every now and then I would watch it. Yeah, because the school that Rory goes to, the high school, Tilton, was supposed to be based on Choate in Wallingford. Oh, okay. But I couldn't find anything, although New Canaan seems to have a lot of private schools, so maybe that's why they placed this fictional school there. I like to know all the details, so if it's a Connecticut-based thing. Ain't nothing wrong with that. Trying to figure out why would you want to send your kid to a place where it's cold in the wintertime. I know, but yeah. <laughs> Especially you don't live in New England. I, I just don't get that part. Like, why would you do that? But hey. <laughs> If it's school's all that and you got the money, hey, why not? You just buy them a real expensive warm coat. Yeah, but, I mean, we have some good schools in Connecticut, you know. Yeah, yeah, we do. We you do. Know. So I just always like to look if one of these episodes is based in Connecticut. I think this is the third Connecticut episode, right? Isn't it? Oh, I don't know. We, I'll keep tabs of that one. We had the Hartford one. 
with the insurance guys. I thought there was another one in between. Can't remember. And now New Canaan. And don't you think maybe they can come up with a way to spray the purple goo around so when they come across a place like that bar? (laughs) (laughs) Maybe what they do is mix it with water. Come to dry powder for it and mix it with water. I know, just bring a a spray (laughs) bottle. Don't stand there and wipe down every single piece of junk in the bar. I don't know. Maybe Claudia come up with something. <laughs> she should. I can't believe she hasn't. Not yet. Because, come on, that place was full of crap. <laughs> yeah. I just thought it was just a thing that Ethan didn't mind dying because he'd be a member of the 27-year-old club. Yeah, that yeah. So you thought the case was a shortcut to inspired music? I was helping myself, but those people, I, I helped them too. People have the right to work through their pain on their own terms. Heal themselves. You have to learn how to live your own life, Ethan. I'm 27. It's a good time to go. You know, my my music would live on. Morrison, Hendrix, Janis Joplin, Cobain, Winehouse. It's, it's good company. Claudia and Hugh go together, I thought were hilarious, because she had zero patience with him. He would start telling all his wacky stories, and she would just give him that look. Yeah, she would give him a look, but dang God, she was almost having a heart attack. Oh, yeah, but... The couple times that, you know, when he talked about smoking joints, and then another oh. time they were on the Oh, fu- that was funny. Yeah. It's only fair to lend out the marbles. I didn't want to be selfish. Yeah, which would be admirable if you were sharing a bag of chips or passing around a joint at a concert, which would be really bad. That would be terrible. What Uncle Huey means is that artifacts are always dangerous. And then another time when they were on the Farnsworth, she, he started going into a long story, and she just gives him this look, and he stops immediately. <laughs> yeah, she was having a heart attack when she was being suffocated, but before that. I forgot. Yeah, she was giving him the look. Yeah. Yeah, I give it a look often. I like to see them together. I think they should have more episodes with those two together, working together. I don't know if they do. I don't know if he comes back again, but that would be good. And once again, they blame everything on mushrooms. Well, yeah, I think of the area that he came from, too. You know, we got to take that into consideration. He was in that Woodstock era. Oh, yeah, Hugo. I mean, at the end, when the principal is trying to figure out what happened, when he realizes, they said, what did you have for lunch? And he said, a salad. It's those mushrooms. (laughs) (laughs) What was that? That is... That tried to kill the... No... Kill? No. No, no, no. What did... No, well, maybe, what, what did you have for lunch? No, thanks. Just, uh, salad? Salad. Yeah, it's uh, mushrooms. Yep, mushrooms. It's, mushrooms. it's, it's all big, taken care of. It's uh, all big... the government's... Bad batch. Uh, mushrooms. Oh, good. <laughs> thanks. The saxophone player, and I can't even remember his name. Ethan. But he's, at the end, when he said, like, really, what, what did he really have? And he didn't really understand that he had somebody right there wasn't paying attention right and micah even said i don't know how i forget exactly how she said it but you're dumber than i thought you were yeah you know because it was it was quite obvious to everybody but him yeah like who okay you're not just selfish you're also blind you you like me i I mean i like i like you i just didn't think (sighs) that part was kind of touching because sometimes you don't realize what you really do have to live for. Right. And that's about it. Yeah, I liked the episode. There was just some parts that just didn't make sense to me. Like I said, the FedEx part. Yeah. 
Yeah, I enjoyed this one too. All right. Well, if you don't have anything else, I don't have anything else. Okay. Cool. We're getting close to our year anniversary. Oh wow! Yeah. Oh, okay. I forget which episode it's going to be that publishes. We're only a couple episodes away from it. We started publishing on August sixteenth or eighteenth, so we're only like two or three episodes away. We record way ahead, so this is now the middle of June. This episode right now probably won't get published till the end of July or August. So we're only a couple episodes away from August, whatever, 16th. And that'll be a whole year of published episodes. I mean, it's longer than we've been recording because we started in the middle of June last year. Oh, okay. And we started publishing in August. Cool. Doesn't seem like that long. This year went by fast, even though we were all trapped in the house most of the time. I know. That's what I said, too. It did go by fast. Yeah. I don't know what it is. Is it slow when it's in the wintertime and fast when it gets warmer? Yeah, but even the winter went by fast. Mm, it go by fast enough on some of them nights. <laughs> <laughs> it was cold. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was cold. I don't yeah. know about the average person's house, but I know it was cold over here. Yeah. No, it was cold. But see, I didn't have to go anywhere. I didn't have to go anywhere either, but the girls are so cold. So, Hugo, do you, uh, you have something for us? I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> Take a look at these little beauties. This, my friends, is a bag of marbles once owned by a young Bobby Fisher. <laughs> Just one of these little cuties gives the holder intense focus and a powerful drive to achieve any goal. All right. Well, if you don't have anything else. I don't have anything else. Okay, cool. All right. So then we'll see you next week. You came into my house and stole from me, dismantled my life's work, and I will respond in kind. Things have already been set in motion. Hey, this is Doug Gramley reminding you to follow us on Facebook at facebook.com backslash the 13th warehouse on Twitter at Eureka Warehouse, on Instagram at Eureka underscore Warehouse, on our website at the13thwarehouse.com or on Podbean. Theme music for The 13th Warehouse, Reflections in the Mirror, provided by Esther Garcia under their standard license. See you next time in The 13th Warehouse. And now we're also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.